Hello. Oh, there we go. I got some response. You remember last week? Hello? Okay. I'm like about the participatory uh, congregation here. So if you don't remember me, I got to speak last week. My name's Cameron. I get to serve as one of the campus pastors here at CCF. Um, and last week, I got to kick off our new sermon series uh, titled Christ Crucified. Um, and then we talked about uh, how forgiveness was displayed and can be understood through the crucifix. So if you missed last week, I think the sermon audio might be up. Uh, you can ask a, a friend or someone in your core um, and catch up with us. Um, but this week, we're going to continue to look at the crucifixion and see what the cross of Christ means for us in a different way. Okay? Um, but I'd like to begin by posing a question for us. The question is this. Have you ever wondered about suffering? For me, practically every time I tune in to listen to the news, I wonder about suffering. I mean, it's hard to hear about school shootings, influenza outbreaks, war-ravaged regions, uh, sexual assault victims, homeless refugees, and devastating devastating natural disasters um, without thinking about suffering and all the suffering people are experiencing. Now, it's only some of the painful realities uh, that I hear about in the news. Then as I grow in relationships with people that I love, I've started to see suffering all around me, and I'm left to wonder. I know of friends who have lost babies, a best friend whose 20-year-old brother died suddenly just a couple blocks from me, another friend who recently just got stabbed in the neck right outside his home, for his wife to come out the door and see her husband covered in blood. Others my age who have experienced heartbreak with spouses who've cheated on them and have left them. Students I love who every day wrestle with the realities of severe anxiety and depression. Others who I know that, that are going home to abusive parents or grew up in abuse in their home. Co-workers that I have that right now have relatives in the hospital who they don't know if they're going to make it much longer. People of color I know who are struggling to feel like they belong in their own society. Family members who are endlessly working tirelessly just to make financial ends meet. Many of you all maybe that are feeling just overwhelmed by the amount of studies and tests and exams and work and things that you have. My personal list could go on and on of suffering that is right next to me, that I can taste, that I can feel. So I often wonder about suffering. What about you? If you don't really think about it, um, I encourage you, without being morbid or anything, to to maybe give it some thought, maybe to, to think about it with me tonight. Because I assure you, unfortunately, that suffering is and will be a part of this life. And I say this because I've seen it in my own life, seen the lives of people that I know, real people and those I see on the TV, um, and because I trust Jesus. And Jesus himself, in fact, said this. In John 16, 33, he said, I have told you these things so that... In me, you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. 
So I want to suggest that how we think about suffering really matters, especially in how we deal with it and how it affects our way of viewing and relating to God. How we think about and view suffering matters. It affects how we view God and how we live our lives. And I think there are really two people, two kinds of people when it comes to suffering. There are those who understand God in the midst of suffering and thus suffer well with some sense of peace. And there's those who don't understand God in the midst of suffering and suffer painfully alone with bitterness and regret. My hope is that this sermon could help us all be a bit of the former by understanding suffering better through the lens of the cross. So, I know it's another heavy topic, but we will end well, I think. So are you willing to jump in and engage with me again tonight? Sorry, are you willing to jump in and engage with me tonight? Thank you. So I've been engaging with this for the last couple of weeks. So join the party and let's jump in. Okay? Disclaimer, I want to start off, though, um, as a means of clarification, uh, to just briefly note that there are different kinds of suffering, numerous different kinds of suffering, and sources and causes of suffering. And they're not all the same, or they're not all experienced even similarly. Um, And so in talking about suffering tonight, I'm not uh, using them all as synonyms, okay? But I'm using the term suffering as an umbrella term to incorporate all kinds of suffering. Does that make sense to you all? Okay? So I'm going to give you some examples. These are, these are ones that I just thought of, of different kinds of suffering. There's suffering of personal consequence as a result of sin. So that could be if you, out of hate, punched someone in the face and were incarcerated, you may feel like you're suffering in jail. But that was because of your personal consequence of your sin. There's suffering of victimization as a result of another's sin. So if you're the person that got caught punched in the face by the hater, you're suffering because of their sin. Okay? I'm going to try to keep some of these examples light. Um, there's suffering of persecution because you're a Christian. So we heard about Brother Sherika say his name. I'm not going to try. Thank you. Um, who was imprisoned just because he was sharing his faith with friends. Okay? There's suffering of ailments because of physical or mental health issues. Like if you're in a hospital struggling to breathe because you have influenza or because you had a panic attack. That's suffering. There's suffering of circumstance because of situations outside of your control. Like maybe uh, you suddenly find yourself in poverty because a hurricane destroyed your home. And there's suffering of injustice because of society's structures and systemic evils. Like maybe you're a marginalized people group and you're put on death row because you were falsely accused for a crime that you didn't do. There's also suffering of sorrow because of death or loss. Like if your dog just died. You'd be suffering sorrow from that, okay? And there's probably more kinds of suffering or whatever. These are just ones like in 30 seconds that came off from the top of my head um, that I think will suffice for now. But I want you to see that there's different kinds of suffering, different causes of suffering. All suffering is not the same, okay? But I'm going to use the umbrella term of suffering here. Um, so I would argue, though, before I begin, this is my um, a premise here, that in one way or another, either directly or indirectly, all suffering somehow relates to sin and brokenness um, that's been brought into our world. That doesn't mean you're suffering directly from a result of that or you did something wrong, but that suffering exists in the world because something wrong happened. Okay? Um, and thus, our belief in what I 
we'll see is that in the end of time, suffering will be eradicated because sin will be no more. That's what will have no basis. Can I get an amen here? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So that's our hope to hold on to as we dive into suffering tonight. Okay? So now let's turn to the cross. I want us to consider the cross and what it tells us about uh, suffering and God. Okay? Here's my last heads up before we get in. Um, I want you to know that this talk will not be like a how-to or five easy steps to uh, personally deal with suffering better. Okay? Uh, it's going to be a lot more theological and geared at helping establish good understanding and perspective on suffering and God so that we can figure out how to endure it well. Okay? The practicals of how you will endure and work through personal suffering is always best figured out individually with a community, through prayer, through support, the Corfa, with a friend, with a pastor, with a counselor, um, because it's different for everyone. Okay, does that make sense? So we're going to look at some of the theology, some of the foundational aspects of suffering um, that then you can apply into your life. So my thesis is basically this. Jesus is intimately acquainted with suffering. Jesus is intimately acquainted with suffering. So if you take nothing else away from the sermon tonight, if you check out, if you're tired or something, just write that down right now. Meditate it on it, pray on it, study the Bible about it, talk to someone about it, and I'm confident that you'll come out with probably the same outcome, but with less talking from me, okay? So write that down. Jesus is intimately acquainted with suffering. Okay, so in all serious, let's look at the cross together tonight. I first want us to see how the cross tells us that God understands suffering. God understands suffering. The crucifixion is the pinnacle in the scriptures of God coming to grips with suffering. In that moment, he declares once and for all, hey, look, I get it. In fact, no one can accuse the God of the Bible of being ignorant of human suffering. No one can accuse him of being surprised by the burdens humanity faces in this world. All throughout scripture, he's extremely aware and understanding of all that is going on. Yet at the cross, we see God the Father look with full attention to the suffering estate of humanity via his son, Jesus. From multiple angles, God understands the painful suffering of injury, betrayal, loneliness, rejection, and victimization wrought by sin. God actually has a deeper and fuller understanding of suffering than any of us have or ever will. Because he has witnessed suffering in all of its forms upon thousands upon thousands of years since shortly after creating mankind. He has heard every cry of injustice and every prayer for comfort of every people in the midst of suffering. Can anyone else say they can, they, they've done that? They know all that? Not me, okay? And God has understood suffering as a caring father does towards his beloved children. He has seen them suffer, stumble, and live in agony. He understood suffering theologically as Jesus suffered in his full humanity and laid down his life while taking on the weight of sin at the cross. 
You see, Jesus lived a fully human life, and in doing so, came to understand suffering from the perspective of mankind. He was tempted in every way and spared no bit of suffering, yet he lived rightly without sin. Hebrews 4.15 says that pretty clearly. So, if you think you know or understand suffering better than God, you may want to think again. Really, somehow do you think in your life you've seen enough suffering to understand the full scope, depths, and realities of it across the world, across all of human history? Do you think you've dealt with the experience of suffering, the cries of people in pain, the sorrow of seeing people you love hurting, the horrors of torture that evil has brought on man more than God across human history? No. I don't think so. Now, I don't want to downplay the real suffering many of us have experienced and how some in this room have endured suffering more intensely, way more intensely than others. I don't want to downplay that. Yet I want us to recognize that God still, that his perspective and understanding of suffering is much broader, deeper, and more real than ours. And at the cross, we see the ultimate example of God showing us how intimately acquainted and understanding of suffering he is. That all the suffering that the world could produce as a consequence of brokenness, past, present, and future, was heaped on Jesus in a moment. Isaiah the prophet speaks of this moment in Isaiah 53.3. And he says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, and familiar with pain. And so God understands our suffering. And I want us to see that God also is present in the midst of our suffering. God is present in the midst of suffering. God is not far off on some comfy couch up in heaven, chilling, ambivalent to the suffering people on the world. No, he's actually near to those who are suffering. He's come close. He's right in our midst. And this has always been true of God. For example, when Israel was suffering in Egypt, they were suffering as slaves in Egypt. Then the Lord said in Exodus 3, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmaster. I know their suffering God was right there. He was in the midst of Israel, seeing their suffering. And he makes sure that people know that he is, he is sitting with them right in the middle of their suffering. Because for Israel, he said, hey, make this tabernacle and put it right in the middle of your people. That in the good times and the bad times, I'm going to be right there. You have the symbol that I'm there. And build this temple. Put it right in the middle of your cities. I'm going to be right there in the midst of your life, in the midst of your suffering. Because God wanted to make it clear that he sees, understands, and is with us as people in the midst of our lives and even in our suffering. The psalmist in Psalm 23, a popular psalm, uh, writes of this. This way, he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Later in the New Testament, Jesus promises to his disciples this. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. After he says this, the disciples went through a lot of suffering. Most of them were killed. 
He says, I'm going to be with you. I'll always be with you in the midst of that. Like if you read Jesus' prayer in John 17, it's clear that he anticipates that his followers um, will experience tons of suffering ahead. That he promises he'll be with them then, through it all, even though he was about to be crucified. All this to say that whatever one goes through, the Lord is right there with them. He is present to us and with us in the midst of our hardships, sorrows, and afflictions. Other psalmist later writes in Psalm 34, The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And Isaiah writes prophetically, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. There's a lot there in the Bible. All to say, God is present with his people in the midst of hardship and suffering. Yet more than just being with people in the midst of their suffering, God was also one who suffered for and in humanity. So next I want us to think about how God experiences suffering. God experiences suffering. Jesus, the God-man, shows us that God entered into the human experience, got his hands dirty, and experienced suffering for himself. Therefore, we don't have a God who can simply just conceptually understand suffering better than any of us, or will basically stand around to be around suffering like a good friend or helper. No, he's in it more than that. We instead have a God himself who has experienced suffering just like us. In fact, I believe God has experienced suffering more than us. The crucifixion reveals to us how Jesus, God in the flesh, tangibly experienced the full extent of human suffering. Now, obviously on the cross, Jesus physically suffered more than most of us, right? We talked a little bit about that last week. Um, More than most of us probably will even imagine suffering, Um, But we have to recognize that Jesus' physical agony was perhaps the least bit of suffering that he experienced on the cross. And we have to admit, like, some people certainly have suffered through excruciating pain and real deep physical hardship, perhaps even worse than Jesus on the cross. Like, you might even have a relative fighting through cancer right now, and you you can see the suffering toll it has on their body. Or you may have heard or read stories of horrific, torturous activities done to people, like during the Holocaust. All of these things are real instances of severe physical suffering. And some may have been actually more intense than the physical suffering of Christ on the cross. However, Jesus' suffering on the cross was much greater than simply dealing with the physical pain inflicted on him. Paul in 2 Corinthians, 2, 20, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 writes, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In essence, in some mysterious way, on the cross, Jesus was suffering through the infathomable weight and horrific consequence of the sin of the entire world, past, contemporary, and future. Peter writes of this in his first epistle, 
1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Somehow Jesus took on the suffering of sin itself. Isaiah the prophet put it this way. It's just a lot of images and pretty descriptive. He says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. In this, we can see that Jesus suffered far more than just physical violence. He suffered through the weight of divine punishment of sin from God the Father himself. This is why on the cross, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At this moment, God the Father abandoned Jesus. He turned his face away and disconnected somehow from him then because of the sin-filled sacrifice that Christ had become. Because of this, a notable pastor in New York City, Timothy Keller, some of you might have read of his works, writes in his book, The Reason for God, that, quote, the death of Jesus was qualitatively different from any other death. He continues, on the cross, Jesus went beyond even the worst human suffering and experienced cosmic rejection and pain that exceeds ours as infinitely as his knowledge and power exceeds ours. He also says that in Jesus Christ, God experienced the greatest depths of pain. So though I think Jesus can relate to all of our experiences of suffering, I don't think that any of us can actually relate to this experience of his suffering. His suffering there on the cross was unique. Really, only God knows the excruciating devastating, unfathomable reality of suffering through all the evils of the human condition at once. And in that moment, God the Father didn't have mercy on Jesus' soul. So not just in the 30 years of Jesus' earthly life and ministry did he experience human suffering. At the cross, his, his suffering accumulated to include every type of suffering imaginable as a result of sin, he experienced every type of suffering imaginable. Thus, at the cross, in some way, he was given any and all the suffering that he could have missed, possibly, in his life before. It was all given to him at that point in the cross. Before we continue, I want to point out uh, something important that we see even Jesus himself experience in the face of suffering. And that is that God may not immediately respond to suffering. We see this on the cross as Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying what Tim said, and then that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then there's no response. I mean, if anyone deserved a response from the Father at that time, It would have been Jesus, don't you think? He was a perfect son. 
I mean, if you're like me, I think you'd expect a response at that time. You'd want to get an explanation of what's happening. What are you doing? Where are you, Lord? When am I going to be saved of this? What's going on? I mean, seriously, have you ever cried out to God in the midst of your suffering and he didn't respond to you or take away your suffering in that moment? I certainly have. Then I've experienced his silence. And I've been so angry. And I've impatiently pouted, God, what's your deal? Why am I suffering? Where are you? What's going on? What's wrong with you? Answer me. Well, Jesus knows exactly what that's like. Except for without the pouting. You see, in this iconic cry on the cross, Jesus is clearly quoting Psalm 22. Matthew translates it word for word in parallel with the opening of the psalm. Um, I think just so that the reader can be sure to make that connection. Uh, So if you're a first century reader, you would have for sure get the connection. We're a little removed. But it's verbatim from Psalm 22, verse 1. And it's, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Jesus knew God was absent. He wasn't going to save him. Silent. And if you know the story, God didn't save Jesus then. He didn't say anything to Jesus then. He let Jesus suffer. He let him die. Jesus died. And then he was put in a tomb for three days. Three days passed with silence. No response. Jesus experienced... From that moment on the cross and forward into death, the painful silence of the Father, who for all of his life and eternity past, he experienced uninterrupted, intimate communion and communication with. I want you to imagine this with me, because I think it's hard to fathom. So I'm going to like have a little analogy here. It's kind of silly, but stay with me. Let's say you called an acquaintance, like a friend you met on campus, and they didn't answer. It's pretty normal, right? No big deal. No one's going to fuss about it. Well, let's say you have a really good friend who usually answers, and so you call them up, and you're like, oh, what's up? And um, they don't answer. A little more unsettling, like, you know, why are they casting shade on me? Whatever. Um, but let's say that, um, you know, what, what if you called your mom or best friend or spouse or girlfriend or whatever, who let's say you normally call daily uh, for your entire life or as long as you've known them, and they've always answered promptly every time you ever called. So you call now, and there's no answer. And so you light them up. You, you call them again. You text them. You Snapchat them. You Facebook message them. You tweet them. You do whatever y'all do. I don't know what it is. But you hit them up in every way you can for days, and they say nothing. There's no response. That'd be a little disturbing, right? Who here would be worried? Yeah. I'd be really worried. I'd be like calling the police. What's going on? Find my friend. Um, especially if it's my spouse. Find my spouse. Um, I mean, really, what would you do? But that was like the scenario for Jesus. I think the reality is that that's a gross understatement of what Jesus would experience on the cross. He was in nature God. 
He was there in the beginning of creation, hanging out, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're creating the world. It's cool. He's like walking through life for 30 years, just praying and things, and oh, okay, I'm going to tell the, the waves to stop. Okay, the waves stop. Like, they're like real synced up, okay? <laughs> it's, like, it's like Apple technology there, your iPhone, iPod, all the things. It's real synced up, and then everything's out of whack, Nothing synced up, no response, okay? That would have been the worst type of suffering. Complete alienation. And in the midst of his worst suffering, he heard nothing. He had no comfort. He had no rationale of explanation of what was happening. He had no, hey, I'll get back to you soon. He had nothing for a time. And I think this is really the most difficult part of suffering, especially as a Christian. Although you may know that God understands, or he's even with us, or he has suffered and even maybe experientially realizes our condition, we still don't hear from him when we want. And that's really hard. We don't see him act soon enough. We're not given all the answers and explanations for things. When we feel we need them, we, we, we don't hear from him. And this can be so agonizing and frustrating, can it? However, I think the cross shows us that sometimes the Father can be silent. And there may be more going on than we know. Good out of this suffering will come, and revelation perhaps with it, but it may not come until later. It may not even come until after death. That is the reality of suffering for many. Answers may not come, or they may seem to come too late. However, I want to end with an encouragement that as we seek God, we will not suffer in vain. As we seek God, we will not suffer in vain. Although we may not get the answers we want when we feel like we want them, God will answer us. Though our suffering may last longer than we want, it will not last forever. So to close, I want us to think about how God redeems suffering. God redeems suffering. Fortunately for us, God always overcomes suffering in the end. He always overcomes suffering. This is the good news of the gospel, that suffering does have an end. I need another amen about that. If you're Christians, amen. Thank you. Okay, we're in it. We're good. Um, And we see this at the cross. Okay, where Jesus was able to endure the worst suffering imaginable as he laid down his life and took on sin during his crucifixion. Then three days later, he gets up to bring resurrection life to all who would come to him. This is the evidence that God redeems suffering on the cross in the resurrection. Of the worst possible scenario, the best possible outcome for humanity was gained. Praise the Lord. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Jesus flips suffering upside down on his head. He takes the, the Roman torture device of suffering and makes it an icon of hope and redemption. Do you believe that? That suffering doesn't have its final word with Christ? To quote Timothy Keller again, he puts it, I think, well by saying, Our suffering is not in vain because the resurrection brings with it 
the life you always wanted, in which every horrible thing that ever happened will not only be undone and repaired, but in some way will make the eventual glory and joy even greater. And if you don't uh, believe it just from him, that's good. Don't just believe whatever you hear from different authors. But you should look at the scriptures. So that's what we're going to do now. Peter, one of Jesus' key disciples, clarifies this reality in 1 Peter 5.10. He says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, and establish you. This is a pretty strong and hopeful language for a guy who was crucified upside down just for being a Christian. Look at the language he uses. Look at the hope he has, the certainty. Paul, another prominent disciple of Jesus, another disciple of Jesus, who was a converted persecutor of the church, um, he kind of ended up suffering a ton uh, for the sake of Christ. And he shares that God will eventually answer us. That what God is producing and bringing through and past our temporal suffering experience is far greater and more permanent. So he says in Romans 8:18, 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Then later he concludes in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In essence, he's saying, even if you suffer for a while without answers, and without your suffering being taken away, there are still reasons behind the suffering, or ways God will use it, and the things ahead will be far, far greater than the suffering that you will one day leave behind. We will not suffer forever because Jesus has suffered once and for all. Jesus has suffered once and for all to bring an ultimate end to the suffering that is going to come for all who hope and trust in him. He is going to bring an ultimate end. This is why Jesus told his disciples in John 16, 22, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away. For the day is coming when God will redeem all suffering and restore every single reality as it should be. In that day, when the kingdom has fully come, the writer of Revelation 21.4, what he says will be true for all of us. He will wipe all tears from their eyes, and there will be no more death. No more suffering, no more crying, no more pain. These things of the past are gone forever. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord that even our worst suffering that strives to consume us cannot claim us in the end. Jesus has claimed us, and he has promised to redeem our suffering, to bring an ultimate end to us, to it and to even use that to produce a greater good somehow. We have a God who understands, experiences, redeems, stands with, eventually answers, and always overcomes our suffering. 
So I want to conclude by saying this. Is this the God you know? Is this the type of God that you turn to and realize is with you in the midst of your suffering? Is this the God that you hope in to make things right one day and trust in for that day to come? So I want to invite the worship team to come back up. And tonight I'm going to leave us with two questions to reflect on. Um, I just want you guys to take some time, maybe through the first song, to just journal or think about these questions. Um, They'll be on the screen. The first is, should your view of God and suffering change because of the cross? If so, how? Should your view of God and suffering change because of the cross? If so, how? The second is, how can you better experience suffering with Christ and hope in the midst of it because of him? How can you better experience suffering with Christ and hope better in the midst of it because of him? Also, I want to acknowledge that for some of you, um, you may be really hurting right now. And you may be a hard time seeing uh, or experiencing God because you're suffering through things right now. And I want to acknowledge that. If that's you, I'd like you to invite you to come up as the music plays um, and just receive prayer. Say like, hey, I'm suffering here. I get all this theology, that's great and stuff, but, but in the reality of my life right now, I just, I just don't even know what to do. I feel paralyzed. I'm, feeling, I'm, I'm hurting. I need, I need someone to come alongside me. That's fine. I'd love to pray for you. Um, and I think it's, it's crucial that we have good theology because our theology informs how we uh, view God and how we live our lives. Um, however, some of you will just need to move past some of the theology in your minds today um, to just approach the cross of Christ humbly and to share the burden of your suffering with others tonight that are here to stand with you. And you may need to take some, some tangible steps to engage in the process of figuring out how to endure through this situation, how to hope and work towards seeing God's redemption in your life through your suffering, through your circumstance. So I don't want you to leave um, without beginning that tonight. Um, but for the rest of you, uh, I'd like you to reflect on those questions. So I'm going to pray, and then as the music plays, you can reflect or you can come up and receive prayer, okay? Father God, we thank you that you uh, are not uh, aloof to our condition. You're not unaware of our suffering, that you understand it, um, that you are present with us in the midst of it, that you've experienced it, um, that you care, um, and that though we may not see you respond or move in the ways that we desire, God, um, that, that you've already been on the move, God to bring an end to our suffering, to bring an end to our pain, to bring redemption, to bring healing, to bring a reality where we will not have to endure um, these things anymore because they're not a part of your original design for us. They're not a part of your heart for us. Your heart is for us to be well and healthy and flourishing and free and pure, um, free, Lord God, of the consequences of sin and brokenness in our world, Lord God. But as we are here in this world, Lord God, we will have trouble, Lord, um, but to take heart, to take courage because you are with us. 
Um, and you are preparing a place for us. And your spirit, Lord God, empowers us and redeems that which even the enemy means for evil, um, and you produce good from it. So we praise you for that, God. And I pray for those who are hurting right now, those who are suffering in real ways, God, that they, that they would not have to minimize that, God, but that they would come with their suffering, with their pain, to the cross, to you, Jesus, and look up and see you for who you are. See the way you care for them, Lord God, and allow you to give them hope, to give them faith, to give them comfort, to support them, to help them endure and to work through whatever they are facing, God. Um, So, Lord, would they come forward tonight, Lord God? Would they experience, Lord God, your nearness, your comfort through prayer, um, through communion with you, God? And and would we all reflect, Lord God, to have a proper um, understanding of you and of suffering, God, that when the hard times fall, maybe we think, oh, things are great right now, but but hard times will fall. We will experience suffering, and we want to be ready, God. So, Lord, set our foundations, Lord God, in your word, in your truth, in who you are, in the reality of experience on this earth. Um, that we may stand and endure until the end when you take us home and make all things new. We thank you, God, and pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.